first episode of Popcorn Optional, a weekly movies podcast where we talk all things movies. Tonight we are reviewing a superhero film about someone who comes to their power by way of cosmic entities and features Jaiman Usu as a supporting character about a character that also used to be named Captain Marvel. But, you know, we've already reviewed <laughs> Captain Marvel, so let's review Shazam! Hey! Hey, look what you did oh. there! You see, I actually, same movie. I read a lot same about exact movie. <laughs> I read a lot about the Captain Marvel thing, and I'm not going to bore you, but it's pretty interesting in an intellectual property kind of way, I guess. Is it just like a legal dispute? Like Marvel was like Marvel's so, our name. So there was, you know, in the golden age of comics in the 40s, there were like a million different comic book companies. And Shazam was made by one of them, which was bought out by DC later, and they had shelved the title. And in between that, um, uh, Jack Kirby, etc., etc., at Marvel had come up with Marvel and their own Captain Marvel. It seems to be lost to history whether it was a copy or not. And they're pretty different characters, obviously. Yeah. Um, But then... Since DC bought it and decided to bring the character back, there's been legal disputes ongoing for like 30 years. And basically Marvel mm. and Marvel Comics ended up winning and that's why they call him Shazam now. Business. <laughs> so, there you go. Business. All right. Well, that's weird. I that's such a like petty, I don't know. That seems dumb. Seems real dumb. That seems really like Marvel E to be like only we can name a character or Marvel. So that's oh, why uh, he goes by the significantly lamer name of Shazam. Maybe not lamer, but like it's, hokier. Yeah, it's definitely a lot cheesier. I'm happy that the movie makes reference to that. But I don't know if making reference to that actually helps. It, I don't it's, know. it's just pretty we'll inconvenient that your name also turns off your powers. That's that's pretty inconvenient. <laughs> right. That is the one issue. And that was not, as, I, as you could imply, not an original feature of the character. No. <laughs> but can you, like, I mean, how often do you say your own name? Like, Jake, are you ever on a film set and you're just like, Jake! <laughs> no, but if, like, I answer the phone and I'm like, this is Jake. Like, <laughs> and your phone would be fried. That's all. It'd be charged, and you would like if you were ever in a you know high rise or anything like that, you would be killing the people around you. That's very true. A lot of lightning damage. All right, but before we get to our actual review of Shazam, we're gonna talk the other side of the comic universe. Which, if people hate comic book movies, they're really gonna hate this episode because that's all we're talking tonight. We're gonna talk Marvel MCU, and then we're gonna talk Shazam. But if you want something more intellectual or I don't know, different than comics. We just did a review of us two weeks ago, so go listen to that. Go Tonight's see us if you haven't seen it because it's so, it's so good. Yeah. Is Okay, really quick. Have you guys continued to think about and process us since our review? It just sometimes comes to mind, and then I just have a little shiver in my spine. <laughs> I... I haven't too much because I, I really want to see it again before I really reach some conclusions, I think. I think it comes up every once in a while. Like, I'll kind of think about the voice of Red Ugh. and get, like, chi- like chills. Yeah. And then uh, I try and go about my day as if somebody's not going to murder me. <laughs> so, with, you know, prepping for Endgame, Marvel Endgame, not, like, the end of the world or anything like that. Prepping for Endgame. Uh, two weeks ago, I made a comment about how I was going to watch all 21, 22 Marvel films before Endgame came out. I'm an idiot. We all know that. <laughs> Way in the past. We don't need to discuss that. Not going to happen. I watched Iron Man, and then I watched Incredible Hulk, and then I started to watch Iron Man 2, and I went, "This is there's no way. I can't make it through all of these timing-wise. Yeah, so, Incredible Hulk and Iron Man 2 will really break your will. Yeah, and so will Thor. Like that's a three-hit series of, you know, and then you get to Captain America: First Avenger, and you're like, oh, okay, and then you get to the Avengers, and that's when it's finally like, huh, okay, maybe they're onto something here. But in that process, I started thinking because I had a conversation with my brother-in-law who 
has seen most of the films. I don't know if he's, I don't think he's seen Captain Marvel, but I was trying to have a conversation and go like, okay, well, what, what films does he need to see? What are the, you know, what are the essential films that would give you enough of like a storyline leading up to Endgame? And so I kind of tried to give myself a barrier of like, okay, if I watch five movies before then, five MCU films, uh, what would those five films be that would give good context? You know, what are the five essential films? Did you, so I threw this question out to you guys and I'm curious to hear your responses. What did you guys think are like the five films that are must watches before this? Yeah. Uh, do you want this like in order of importance or just a random five films? Let's do order of importance and let's assume, cause I think that we're all going to say infinity war well, is know. an important one I was going to gonna say Thor the Dark World. I mean... <laughs> if you watch Iron Man 2, the way that Whiplash yeah. does certain things... Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, let's assume that we're all going to say Infinity War is one of those five films. So outside of Infinity War, what are the five films that you guys would say are essential films that... like, If, you were in a, if somebody that knew nothing only had time to watch five, what are those five? Okay. Uh, my bottom one or, or like least important of the five would be Captain America Civil War. Hmm. Why bottom? Like, why is that the least important? Uh, because in terms of like what's happening in Infinity War, it's one of the least important things just besides the fact that the Avengers are kind of split up. But besides that, it has nothing to do with the actual infinity stones the the, like thanos any of that stuff and so it's just more like the characters interacting good character development and that's mostly what my choices are um establishing the infinity stones and establishing character interactions so just so let's walk us through jake all five of your picks and why you why you chose all five of them okay uh yeah so number five captain america civil war uh, number four, Doctor Strange, and that's because that's our first interaction or introduction with kind of the magical realm of Marvel, as well as the Time Stone, uh, and we get to know Doctor Strange, who I think is going to become a very important character moving forward. Number three is Thor Ragnarok, because that's where we see Thor become who he is, um, as well as the issues with the Hulk, uh, and it also sets up what's happening with Asgard, which is important for Infinity War. Uh, number two is guardians of the galaxy one because once again we get introduced to this group of characters and this new world of the marvel films kind of the cosmic space world Uh, i also think that that film does the best job of establishing what the infinity stones are and the implications of getting all six would have it shows the power of the infinity stones i think in a better way than any of the other films do. And then obviously number one is infinity war because it's the first half of this movie. (laughs) Yeah. It's a good, that's, I'd say that's a pretty good reason. Okay. So, so I kind of saw this as there's two ways to think about this. One is, is it more important to the, is the continuation of the Avengers storylines important or are the infinity stones themselves important? Um, because if the infinity stones are important, then we get a pretty good look at one in Thor, the dark world, the worst movie in this universe, <laughs> but it has a lot of information about a particular infinity stone and what it's capable of. So that's kind of a weird thing, but ultimately mostly because of that, I decided to kind of go the Avengers route. Um, so I kind of just stuck with the overall Avengers movies and this was, um, kind of tough for me because I don't really necessarily think these are the best ones, but I think that if you just go Avengers age of Ultron civil war, um, and then add guardians of the galaxy and infinity war, I think those kind of hit the like the narrative high points. Um, I think that Jake is right, right about Ragnarok being important, um, too. So that was kind of on the outside looking in for me, but I kind of took it just as an overall, like where are the Avengers as a team going? Where have they been? How did we get to this place? And you have just enough of kind of the infinity stones and the slight look at Thanos and all of that to kind of build it all all together. Um, I also think there's like some caveats here too. I think that, depending on which direction Endgame goes, um, you know, Ant-Man and the Wasp could be really important, and so could Captain Marvel. 
But if I was going to tell someone the movies you have to watch, I would stick to the main kind of theme of the Avengers. Yeah, mine mine's pretty similar to Trevor's. I went Avengers, Guardians of the Galaxy 1, because that also is kind of the introduction of Thanos in a small way. Avengers Age of Ultron. I think that even though it's not... Avengers Age of Ultron is like bottom tier Marvel for me, but it introduces like Vision, that whole side of like Infinity Stone type stuff. And then Captain America Civil War, I think, gives us where we're at going into all of this because Tony and Cap still aren't really working together. And they're still, I think, emotionally that like if you watch that and understand where they're at, that may add some emotional gravitas to this film, Endgame. And then assuming that, you know, Infinity War is a must watch, my fifth one would be Ant-Man and the Wasp because... I have a feeling that the quantum realm will be of big importance to this movie. Just from like trailers and stuff, it seems like Scott Lang and, uh, you know, the 50 year old happy birthday, Paul Rudd, it's going to be an important part of this. And so I kind of went Trevor's way also of like, what's, if I'm telling, if I'm giving somebody like a narrative thread, what's the, what's the essential road that you would take? And I think by going, Avengers route you get you get enough of the emotional beats to kind of give you that satisfaction at the end of the story but it's weird it's it's I started thinking about this the other day and it really is I wouldn't even put Star Wars in the same realm I think this is kind of in a league all of its own of hype I mean this is just like a 22 films 10 years you know, multiple, I mean, it's like the end of a season that's been lasting for 10 years, a season of TV. Yeah, it's crazy. And so it's like asking, you know, hey, which episode should I watch before the finale? Well, <laughs> kind of all of them, you know? So yeah. there's little bits and pieces here or there. What do you guys think the odds are of in-game winning Best Picture as an achievement award like <laughs> Return of the King? Zero. Yeah. <laughs> Zero. Zero. Okay, Zero Return of the King dessert. Wow. Let's just throw some jabs around at one of the no, best no. movies ever made. Listen, Return of the King is great, but it's 11 Oscars went to all three movies. Like that's like everyone knows <clears> that. That's not they went they, they were like mini series. They gave them awards for a mini series. Yeah, I would tell that to I Peter Jackson's. I would agree with that to a point, but I definitely like Return of the King is such a great film and a technical achievement. I I Endgame could surprise us, you know? Like I it, the fact the fact that Black Panther was nominated as best picture, I Black Panther is good, but it is not anywhere close to a best picture winner but green book won so like what do i know um <laughs> but like i you know annihilation wasn't even nominated yeah. first man wasn't even nominated yeah it's know. ridiculous um i would be incredibly surprised if it did but that would be awesome um but i am so like we mostly had the same movies like even with different story paths we definitely focused on the same thing so that that's interesting i think there's like eight films that really are must that's, see yeah that's what i i, I kind of had a group of eight or nine that i felt like were the most important yeah and trevor i think you're right it's hard to tell like how i'm still not convinced that you need to see captain marvel in order to understand her role in uh infinity or in endgame i think that she might be able to kind of stand like on her own in that film also interesting they did a press um interviews the other day and apparently the first time that brie larson played captain marvel was in endgame and she filmed all of that and then filmed captain marvel oh that's weird that is weird so they apparently they filmed all of endgame like two years ago and i've had it it back to back with infinity and just locked it you know had picture lock like two nights ago That's crazy. Can you imagine just working, many, editing on a film, special effects for two years? How many times do you think the Russo brothers have seen it? Thousands. Like, like thousands? Like literal thousands of times? Well, I'm curious because I don't, I mean, I don't know much about that process. Jake, do you know how much it would be like, as you're sitting in an editing bay, are you like, okay, let's watch like every week, like, okay, let's watch a new cut. Okay, let's watch the new cut. Uh, Yeah, I mean, everybody has their own different style of, of working in the industry, but... Generally, it's uh, 
yeah, like the director is working with each individual stage and a film like this has all of the stages going on at once um, or like overlapping. And so they probably were in editing for a long time, getting the rough cuts. And then they started splitting their time with some of the VFX work, some of the color work, some of the audio work. And so I bet on Mondays they're in editing on Tuesdays, they're in audio on Wednesdays, they're in color on Thursdays, they're in VFX and Fridays they're in production meetings. You know, that's probably how it went. Something like that. I do know that um I I mean definitely every director works differently but um in the DGA podcast for if Beale Street could talk Barry Jenkins said that when they started editing he watched the cut they have every single morning it was the first thing he did wow um, wow when they were going through the whole thing so that would seem I mean I haven't seen if Beale Street could talk but it's a dang good but movie. that seems like quite an emotional ride to take yourself on every mo- every morning. And I get I get sick wow. of like working on a four minute long like short film. By the end of the edit, I'm like, God, I hate this. I can't imagine working on maybe something for like five years. Not not to say anything about your work, Jake, but maybe that's the difference between um like John Turtletop and Barry Jenkins. Is just maybe. how many times they can re- watch it back while working yeah. on it. They're masochists. Well, even like Quaron. Quaron, like, I think one time he said in an interview that he looks at every film like it's an ex-wife, and it's like he loves <laughs> the time that he had with them, but, like, he hates it and never wants to do that again. I very much understand that. I completely get that. That, that there, makes total sense to me. There are times when it's like, oh, you know what would be awesome? We should use this song for this edit. And I'm like, <laughs> no, I like that song too much. It, it's going to ruin it. Like, that song, I'll never yeah. want to listen to that song again. All right, well... We all have our tickets. We're what? 20, 17 days away. Yep. That's that seems oh, a long time. It's crazy. So soon. But then I already downloaded Run P. I'm ready for the three hour run. <laughs> yes. Time. Three hours and fifty eight seconds. <laughs> and I don't know if that's including end credits. Guys, Surely it does. This is the perfect use of that my my favorite gif. My my body is ready. Snape oh against the window. <laughs> Is your body ready for an 11 p.m. screening that gets out at 2 a.m.? Yeah, I'll just sleep in a little bit, not go super hard in the workout, and like not drink water after like 5 p.m. I think that's probably what I'm going to do. Smart plan. I'll get up at 6 like normal and uh, (laughs) pound a couple five-hour energies at 10 p.m. All right, let's do it. All good. Have a heart attack in the seat, and it'll be fine. (laughs) <laughs> it'll be like Mike Dicka's super sports fan show but with Marvel <laughs> you okay there Bob oh yeah that makes that Baker's dozen heart attacks there yep. okay here we go end game yep <laughs> alright well let's switch aisles uh, sides of the aisle I guess you could say for a political reference and let's review Shazam with an exclamation mark sorry I should probably say Shazam is that um i think that's how it's meant to be read um this is what the sixth or seventh film of the dc cinematic universe maybe the first one in their like all right we don't really care about continuity anymore (laughs) let's just make a good movie Uh, and you know universe (laughs) well i mean we'll talk about that because by the same company i think I definitely think there are times where this movie benefits greatly from being a part of the DC cinematic universe, or at least like making it known that it's like the superheroes exist in this world as well. I think that's a huge part of this movie. So I'd agree with that. um, Let's, let's just kind of open up with our general thoughts though, before getting into a deeper dive of the movie, Jake, what did you you think of Shazam? Yeah. uh, Overall, it was a lot of fun. Um, the, a great, great tone to the film. The director, David Sandberg, uh, David Sandberg does a great job. Um, I thought that it was kind of the perfect balance of a uh, big budget superhero movie to like small family kids film. Uh, I think it captured the joy of uh, what superheroes are to children in a really, really great way. I definitely did feel a little bit of the superhero fatigue in this movie. Maybe it's just because like that seems to be all that's coming out recently, but I, I felt a little bit of it towards the end. I definitely liked the smaller moments than the bigger moments, but yeah, overall fantastic cast is great. And uh, guys, Jack Dylan Grazer is 
MVP. Oh, man. Like he, that kid so, is going places. Um, he he. I would steals cast the him show. in everything. Yeah, he steals the show, like for sure. Um, so yeah, overall, I thought it was great in terms of like it being a movie in itself, pretty good, you know. But in terms of it being in the DCEU, this this might be the best film ever made. So way to go. <laughs> <laughs> that's a pretty pretty big uh stretch there first of all i want to say that i think this is a top five christmas movie of all time so just <laughs> to get that out of the way um and i will fight someone on that um i thought this was an absolute blast it was so fun it was so funny it was so sweet it was so emotional i literally laughed i literally cried um it just this this movie was just so much fun. It this is the hardest I've laughed in the theater in a long time. There was a lot of stuff in this that was just so funny. Um, it just really it kind of works on on several different levels, like you were saying, Jake. Like there's something in there for the little kids. There's something in there for high schoolers. There's something in there for parents. Like it just it just has all of these different different areas, um, and it. It, it's a little bit hokey, but it knows it's hokey when it is, and it pokes fun at itself in a perfect way. Zach Levi is great. Um, Asher, An- Asher Angel is great. Jack Dylan Grazer, I agree, steals the show. But yeah, I really enjoyed this a lot more than I thought I was going to. The marketing for this was bad, and um, the movie was fantastic. I think I'm I'm somewhere you know around where you guys are. I I actually was pretty excited i had a conversation with my wife before going to see this where i was like i think this is the first time i'm actually excited about a dc film it's not like a what are you seeing this week some dc film uh justice league or blah i mean wonder woman it was like okay i'm excited but like i I still like kind of tempered my excitement because it's it's dc you know they haven't really done anything great since christopher nolan you know ditched out not ditched out, but completed his trilogy. That was a bad word. Sorry, Mr. Nolan, if you're one of the <laughs> people who listens to this podcast. But, you know, that being said, it, it, I was excited. And I feel like this movie is is one of the better things that DC has done in the past, you know, since they started their cinematic universe. I don't. I wouldn't say this is the best movie but i think this is probably second best i think this is like right behind wonder woman and it has some issues but i feel like ultimately this movie's like you know what why can't superhero movies just have fun and you know that's a pretty simple thing but nowadays it's you know pretty easy to forget that and not actually be like oh let's just make a movie that's fun for people to go watch and at the end of the day like i had fun with this movie was i like blown away and you know walk out walking out of it going wow that was that had so many different levels to it and like the way they went this way and then they took the story here no but i was like that was fun i had a good time with that and i think ultimately that's kind of where you know where i'm at with this this series or with you know superhero movies is like if you can just entertain me and make me have fun i'm good but uh, let's 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 start to get a little bit deeper. The film kind of opens up with this sequence of the what's his name? Savannah Thaddeus Sivana, played by Mark uh, Strong. Well, not at the beginning, but eventually. Do you guys like after this opening? I was super down on the movie. I Dude, had very little hope. It's so bad. They, like the script, the performances. Look what you did this is your fault that our dad is paralyzed i was like oh my god this is gonna be terrible i think yeah it was it was definitely heavy-handed but the little kid his face was sad enough that i that i bought it a little <laughs> bit i just felt I don't bad know because even the kid like when jaiman usu is like you will never be worthy and it's just kind of like oh man that's you've heard in every single superhero film and jake maybe you're right maybe if this film had come out 10 years ago we'd be like wow this is really fun but i think with where we're at it's almost like the incredibles 2 it's like the incredibles 2 is about five years too late with its ideas Mm -hmm. and so you know bringing this out it's kind of one of those things where you go "Ah, okay let's let's get to the good stuff and i think once we start to get to the billy batson stuff it's actually like Okay, this is 
this is a lot more fun. The, yeah. Even though it wasn't good, the intro did work for me a little bit on making Savannah at least a little bit sympathetic. Um, yeah. Like understanding his motivations. Like I said, it wasn't necessarily well done, but I think that it does add a little bit to the villain that wouldn't be there otherwise. And it does some important world building because we don't know anything about this character. Like that, that scene kind of had to happen just like in guardians of the galaxy. I'd say probably the worst scene is the beginning when the kid gets abducted by aliens and you're like, this feels totally different. Like you could tell like, Oh, this was a second unit. This was second unit director. Second, like it just feels totally different. Yeah. And I get that that needs to happen, but I think that there are a couple of things that could have been done to improve that opening. And maybe, I don't know, just don't play it as hokey. I'm not sure if like, because it's a pretty serious thing that happens, but the overall tone of the movie is a little bit jokier, but I don't know if like the jokier tone of this serious thing works as well in introducing everything. I almost wonder if they had played it more like straight line, darker DC type thing, you know, slow motion shot of a gun pulling pearls off of someone's neck, (laughs) things like that. I think it was mostly Uh, just, it was bad writing. Like it it didn't feel like they were trying to be overly cheesy. It just felt like it was really poorly written. Yeah. So do you guys think, because this is something that we talked about a little bit, do you guys think that this film benefits from having DC films go before it, like Aquaman? And, you know, we see Jack Dylan Grazer's uh, Freddy character kind of, you know, he wears Aquaman shirts, he wears Batman shirts, he has a Batarang, he has a Superman bullet that was shot at Superman. Do you think all of that, like the film benefits from having been set in this universe? Or do you think that it would have worked even if those films hadn't come before it? I think it's a a new kind of interesting way to to kind of refresh the character within a context. I um I don't know a ton about um Shazam slash Captain Marvel. Haven't read a lot of him, but I know that that it's a little bit more mystical than everything than a lot of the other stuff in the DC universe. Um, but I think this kind of gives it a context because, of course. A, a couple of teenagers who happen upon random powers are going to view it within the context of Superman because that's like turned the world upside down in the last few years. So I think <laughs> that it, it actually, this is the first, I was joking earlier, but this is the first time, this is really, I think the first time that this, this universe actually works in a positive way for its characters and its character development, which is terribly unfortunate. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I totally agree. I, I loved all the references, the obsession, um, the fact that uh, his his buddy Freddy like knows everything about superheroes. It, it was a lot of fun. He was like the guy in the chair. That's who Freddy was. Uh, yeah, the guy know? in the chair. Um, and like, it, it's fun to be in on it with the characters. Um, it makes them a lot more relatable because we also look at superheroes the way that these kids look at superheroes it's like we want to be like them we want to see them we want to experience them in real life know everything about them know their powers what this is like the 30th superhero movie we've talked about on this podcast um <laughs> and so, we, we will every time they come out for the end of until the end of time yeah so it's uh, a <laughs> it, it, i i think it's a lot more relatable than something like uh justice league where it's like you know what i'm a fan of truth and justice Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of Justice League and those therein, the best part of this movie being connected to the DC universe was Shazam half-heartedly throwing a three-foot-tall Batman at Doctor Savannah. That <laughs> <laughs> uh, was pretty pretty well done. And I think there's little things like that that make this so much fun to watch, having that knowledge of those events. Like you know. Especially Batfleck would have been so disappointed in that behavior. <laughs> yes. Here's a question. Okay, wait. D- does okay, does go ahead. like Batman and Superman make licensing fees on that, or does it go to the Justice League and then they distribute the royalties individual? Like, this is a world where the superheroes there are as many licensed products of the superheroes yeah. as our world, but the I, superheroes are real. I bet they've. I bet Bruce Wayne has set up some kind of charity trust fund because none of them would take the money. You have to set up an LLC or is Aquaman. it just like a direct well, cash deposit? Aquaman might take the money. 
We know I mean, Shazam would take the money. Well, yeah, that's yes. true. We know that Diana so, would not take the money. That's right. Yes, we do. Because she is better than all of us. Let's just be real. Okay, so I remember when we all saw Chronicle in college. And we all kind of sat there and were like, wow, that's a movie that actually is like, here's what would happen if three random kids got superhero powers. It wouldn't just be all, you know, sparkles and shine. It would be like, let's have fun with this. Let's do stuff. And, you know, here's the bad that comes with it. But was this something where you guys actually felt like, okay, here's what a kid would actually do with these powers. Like he would, you know, go to the top of the steps and play, uh, what was the song that he starts playing with the uh, lightning? Uh, Survivor? It was, yeah, uh, I, the Tiger. I the Tiger. He was on the Rocky Steps too, so yeah. it was all kind of a yeah. Yeah. culture reference. Does, it, does this feel like one of those things, or is this kind of like, okay, this kid's being a little bit ridiculous with these powers? Uh, I mean, what is he, 14? Like, 15? I was a little turd when I was 14. He's and... also he's also <laughs> never felt like he belonged anywhere or was accepted anywhere, you know? <clears throat> yeah, so, I mean... Yeah, I, th- I think it's legit. It totally makes sense. And it it's also everything that, like, if you were 15 or 14 and suddenly turned into an adult, it's all the things that you would want to do, like, with superpowers. Like, I, I love that <laughs> he goes to the strip club and buys beer, and then he's like, oh, I don't really <laughs> like either of those. It was so sad. Like, um, Oh, yes, I'd like to buy your finest beer. <laughs> yeah, just stuff like that is fantastic. The part where they're like... Wait, that's just your suit though, but are you is your skin invincible? Shoot yeah. him in the face. Yeah. <laughs> that's something that's like, okay, I can picture a kid that's 15 saying that to his friend be like, "Yeah, wait, shoot him in the face. Yeah, let's see how that works." Yeah. <laughs> not even thinking like, "You're invincible. What if it's not the skin? Like, let's shoot him in the hand or something." <laughs> yeah. But no, the face. Okay. So, yeah. So, you know, all that being said, with that, you know, we've established that this this feels like actual kids. But do you guys think the performances outside of Jack Dylan Grazer? Is that his name? Jack Dylan Grazer. Yeah. Do you guys think that the other performances in the movie are well done? I think we've established that, you know, Freddy is fantastic. He's fantastic in It. He's fantastic here. If we were, any of us were making a movie with a kid actor in it, we would instantly cast him. He's incredible. You guys, but like throughout the rest of the movie, you know, we have Mark Strong, we have the parents, we have the rest of the kids. Do you guys feel, did that feel real or did any of that feel hokey? Oh man, I loved it. I loved the whole family. I loved all the kids. They were all sweet. They were all kind and fantastic. Um, the little, the girl who plays Darla, uh, Faith Herman. Oh my goodness. She's amazing. (laughs) She if if Freddie wasn't so so good, she would have stolen the movie because she is just a, a complete delight. Yeah, they were all yeah. adorable. The family was adorable. Um, I wanted more of the family interactions. Um, and I even teared up at the at the end at the final dinner. Yep. Not I'm not gonna say spoilers, but I was like, oh my god, no, we, stop it! Can we turn this into like a family sitcom? Is can we spin this off yeah. into that, please? Yeah, I, I, would I think totally watch that. One of my biggest complaints with this movie is that it does so many different things well that I want more of each of those things. But the movie doesn't have enough time to dedicate. You know, can't just sit and be like, let's explore this side of him trying to figure out his powers, or let's just have a hour long episode of them as a family just having a conversation at dinner, like. You can't just have any one section of those. And so instead of, you know, there's all these different sections. And I kept wanting to be like, oh, no, just give me a little bit more of that. And then it would cut away to something else. Or I think that's one of my, at least for me, my biggest issues with the movie was that I wanted more of everything and never felt like I got enough of any one thing. Okay, so we're going to get into spoilers. So if you haven't seen Shazam, go see it now. Come back, listen to the rest of this podcast. Spoilers. Here we go. So there's the uh, Billy's whole journey is leading up to this moment with his mom where he is trying to find his mom who he had been separated from at a carnival 12 years ago or something like that. Do you guys. Okay. So that whole moment is pretty brutal. 
Like oh his mom gosh. not that wanting was, him. That was so hard to watch. Him mm-hmm. being lost. And it's so like. Oh I, my I, gosh. I, at first I was like, okay, we get it. The mom doesn't want him. Like, why is he not catching on? But then I thought about it from his angle of like, he's not catching on because this is what he's been waiting his whole life for. How could his mom not want him? Yeah. And that made it even more heartbreaking. That was the first time I cried like six minutes into the movie. What was the second time? The, the end when they were at the, around the dinner table scene, like Jake just said. Yeah. What are you going to? No, but that scene with the mom is just incredibly heartbreaking. Do you, but. Okay. I don't want to seem too like calloused. But here's here's an issue that I have is that that happens. He gives her the um compass thing, yeah, yep. um whatever, and then gets a call from Freddie, and instantly that's kind of wiped from the surface, and we go into superhero mode. Part of me like is this just me being calloused and like. I've been conditioned to want something grittier and more brutal or did everything kind of feel like it just happened too cleanly? Like, okay, she uh, doesn't want me. Okay. I have this other family over here. All right, here we go. Let's be, uh, here we go. Let's do this over here. Uh, I think Is, I it, it works for me. I think it fits the erratic nature of a 15 year old. Yeah. Um, and, and kind of, I I think that, you know, just from like a brain child development situation, like things that seem really obvious from the outside are not for, for kids who are on the inside of these situations. So I think that once he has that catalyst of, especially when she doesn't even know what the compass is that he's handing her and which was, Oh, that was so brutal. Yeah. Um, but but I think that's the moment when he's like, all right, well, I just have to move on. And then he gets a perfect opportunity to kind of release his emotions. So it makes sense that he runs to that. I think it works for me. Yeah. It's also not like it's his, it's not like it's our moms like who have like taken great care of us, come to us and they're like, I don't want you anymore. Like that would cause significant emotional damage, but it's, it's this girl that, or this, this mom that hasn't been in his life at all, you know? So, uh, he has this other family that he has emotional connection with. So it made, it made sense for me. Also the movie's already two hours. So, <laughs> yeah. So then we come to, you know, the end battle scene where it's Billy and his family versus, or not versus yet, but Savannah and the seven deadly sins. And, Let's get it. Let's go ahead and get get it out on the table. How was the CGI for the Seven Sins for you guys? Meh. Yeah, sometimes it was good and sometimes it was bad. Um, I the overall character CG was not great, but I thought the the horror stuff in this, like the conference room scene, for some reason, was like very effective for me. Yeah, I thought um, it was good also. I think that just shows off uh, David Sandberg's origins as a horror director. I feel like he he understands how to use that stuff really well. Um, where the Seven Deadly Sins lack, and where most of this movie lacks in terms of CG, is the action stuff. But with with like the actual character moments with the Seven Deadly Sins, I thought that they were pretty good. Okay. So we get to that final end scene, and then... We have, you know, several different big things happen. One of the progressions is that the kids also end up getting Shazam powers. I don't like the comic book background yeah. says like they also become part of the Marvel family, but I guess we can't really use that. So right. it's it's called the they call it the Shazam family now. But okay. yeah, it's the same it's the same thing. They basically um, the source of their powers is the Rock of Eternity, which is where the the kind of throne room and the seven deadly sins are kept. It's sort of an okay. a-dimensional place that's completely inside of a rock, and it's kind hmm. of it's the source of their powers. So okay. are are they all like are the kids all permanently like Shazam as well, or was that just like a one-time thing, or do they just become Shazam when Billy is Shazam? In in the comics, there's only I think three others. Um, 
Freddy is one of them. He's Captain Marvel Jr. And there's Mary Marvel. And then there's, I want to say there's another one, but I can't think of who it is. Um, I think that in the new 52, it's actually set up exactly how, like, Trevor, you're right in, like, for, like, the history of right, all yeah, of yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, in, yeah. In the previous, uh, before the 2011 reboot into the new 52. Right. Yes. But I think in the 2011 reboot, if I remember right from reading online, it's actually, like, the exact same thing where it's his foster family and it's, like, Eugene is Eugene and, like, Darla is, like, they're all the exact same characters. Right. And mm-hmm. the, the transition point was the, the Flashpoint storyline, which is where the universe gets turned upside down. Um, and the Shazam character in Flashpoint is actually all of the kids and they have to all say it together and they turn into one person. Ah. Uh, mm-hmm. Which is kind of an interesting thing. That's very inconvenient. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Wait, who are we missing? Okay. <laughs> oh, dang it. Yeah. All right. And well, guys, hold the off six, just one second. Right. And it's the six characters that are in this, and they all have the same kind of personalities in that Flashpoint series. It's pretty interesting. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, I don't know how they're going to play it in this, Jake. I wondered that, too. Um, I feel like... At least it would be annoying for them, at least from my perspective, for them to be like, all right, now let's just go back to Billy. Once you've seen everybody have him, it's like, okay, that's interesting. Let's stick with that. The epilogue does kind of imply that they don't still have the power, right? Because it's a big deal that Billy comes and brings Superman. I I couldn't, I wanted, I wanted the post-credit scene to acknowledge the other kids having powers somehow. I I mean, I you can explain it away easily by the ghost (laughs) of the wizard coming and talking about sharing your powers when it's needed or something like that, which Mm -hmm. I'm fine with. I'm cool with that. Um, but it would be nice to know something about that. Yeah. It's just like one of my least favorite tropes in superhero films is to have the second film be the film where they somehow lose their powers. And then you have to like figure out, who they are without the powers. And I feel like that's what an origin movie is, is them like figuring out who they are in addition to these powers. And so it just kind of feels always feels like a step back instead of a progression, instead of being like, okay, now who are, who are all these people with this powers? Who's this family as a whole? It it comes to, all right, let's take a step back into what we've already seen from the first film and then give them back their powers. It would just feel like a misstep if they went in that direction. Or like Spy Kids too, uh, what a waste! <laughs> <laughs> but one of my favorite things about the end of this movie is that the kids getting their powers and Billy sharing his powers with them feels like a very natural progression of the storyline. It doesn't feel like a forced in there thing of like, well, I guess we'll give these kids powers. It's like no, this is a natural build, story wise, action wise, like everything is a natural progression. And I think they built that in there beautifully of getting to that point. I agree. It's, it is, it was earned. Um, we can talk about earning powers here in a little bit, but, uh, considering how outnumbered the character was, it made sense for that to happen. Mm -hmm. So does the battle between Savannah and Shazam at the end feel too, man of steel you know punching each other as we fly through a city that was the only like my only issue with that end battle was it was kind of like okay i've seen this before like they add in the funny twist of you know i can't hear you from all the way over there that, that was, was really funny <laughs> that was a good bit i'll um, give that to them but it, i like that, that part it, it is similar but i think it fixes a lot of the problems that the final man of steel battle had like first and foremost, the absurd and unnecessary collateral damage, um, mm-hmm. like almost comical collateral dam- damage that happens in Man of Steel. Mm-hmm. But but yeah, I mean it it is what it is. I mean th- those are the powers the characters have, and and Shazam is pretty similar to Superman. Um, but you know when you think about it from the, I mean I know it's the boring stuff I said at the beginning, but they were created by different people to live in different universes initially. So that's kind of why they're so similar. And there was a lot of copycatting in the early days of comics, um, which is why yeah. every Marvel and DC character have a counterpart on the other side, pretty much. Yeah. Um, yep. But, but I mean, I, I think it was fine. It was, it was fun. It fit the characters. I don't think, I think it gave them a, a better scale of power than the man of steel ending does. Yeah. I, I, 
I agree. I thought it was more like Matrix Revolutions. Like, for some reason, uh, that came to mind because um, Savannah looks like he thinks he's in the Matrix with his outfit. Hmm. Yeah. And the that evening, does make sense for evening in the city. Uh, yeah, a little bit more. He had Matrix like a built in priest collar to his shirt, but it was the same yeah. color. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Ah. Uh. So, oh, I mean, are you guys, this movie, you know, we get to the end. Are you guys happy where we leave everything? Is this something that you guys are excited for going forward? Or like, are you, do you think this is, so what, what I'm really trying to get to is if you had to pick something for DC to, to devote their time to, whether it be, you know, Batman, Superman, is this something that you want them delving more into if it means kind of cutting loose some other areas? Absolutely. I mean, if we, I would, I would take three more of these before another, like Batman versus Superman, any day of the week. So I am fully on board for more of this type of filmmaking from DC. This more singular characters. Not everything has to connect. Like unless you have someone like Kevin Feige and an entire like team of writers dedicated to just the continuity of your universe. Like, not everything has to be interconnected. Um, Aquaman is great. Wonder Woman is great. This is great. More of this is what we want. Yeah, I agree. I think this was this was a blast. This was so fun. Um, if you're the problem with the DC movies, to to up until the last three or four, is that they were dark for like no reason besides <laughs> Zack Snyder's whims. And well, dude, they, if, they had, if you think Batman doesn't kill people, you need to wake the F up. Oh my That's... gosh. <laughs> I could talk about that for way too long. Goodness gracious. Um, because the, the Nolan, the Nolan Batman, Batman, the Nolan trilogy was dark, but it, it earned it through its realism and its grounded nature. But Zack Snyder was just like, all right, we'll just turn off the lights off. I don't know. We'll be people are mad about stuff, you know. Mad, I'm mad. Somebody <laughs> killed my mama, you know. Like it just everything doesn't... is damp for no reason. That's right. Yeah. Is this? Is there a sun on this in this universe? Like what? I don't understand. <laughs> there has to be because Superman, Superman has power powers, from? right? But yeah, it just yeah, the, and I think that we've gone another direction. I think that um, Jeff Johns having a significant role in the past few movies is pretty clear. Um. And, and I think that this is, this is, this is the formula, like, well, Wonder Woman is great and you can't just make a Wonder Woman, but if you hire the right people, you can make an Aquaman and a Shazam every couple of years. Like I always say, if you don't know how to fix your universe, hire some horror directors and let them be funny. (laughs) It's true, man. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. Whoever did that, I'm not sure it seemed like a good idea at the time, but it definitely has worked out. It's one of those things where I'm like, okay, if this is what we end up getting from the DCEU being completely disconnected, I'm fine with that. I don't need an Avengers film. Just make good movies that entertain me, and I'll be happy. Yeah. All right, so any other remarks before we get to our final thoughts and ratings? Uh, the thing, The only thing that I really was like having an issue with in terms of story or plot was the whole like do you deserve the powers but then billy batten only gets them because it's like the last minute and there's really no consequence anymore because the seven deadly sins don't exist and then like him he doesn't deserve the powers but then he earns the powers by the end of the film so then technically savannah could have gotten the powers like anybody could have gotten the powers and earned the powers by the end after having the powers so that whole premise kind of falls on itself for me i don't know the status of this in the comics but i think it kind of implies that the rock of eternity exists outside of time maybe okay but okay but i don't know that's that's my how does that's that my, fix this but does, that's my hypothesis does time well, happen like, within the rock of eternity because like you can kind of see maybe it's just him getting weaker but then like why would huh 
I guess what I'm trying to say is like the time of like the seven deadly sins have been trapped for far too long. Kind yeah, of thing. Okay, you're right. They do they do make some references to time and Shazam is getting or the wizard is getting older. Yeah. yeah. And they make reference to okay. Black Adam in the earlier part of the story. Yeah. Um which is the like character that the rock's going to play and do his own movie. That's for. what that's what the original script was supposed to be was him fighting Black Adam but they were like no we can't do his biggest villain in his first film that doesn't Yeah, that you doesn't have make to sense. you have to meet Shazam and get to know him before you can do the Black Adam thing cuz they're like they're like perfect matches for each other. They they pretty they they like never actually defeat each other in the comics. Hmm. Yeah, my the one thing I do want to say is I think this movie did a really good job of something that movies get wrong and it's that the adult actors in the Shazam family adjusted how they did things to the kids instead of the other way around. Yeah. A lot of times mm-hmm. we see kids having to try to play like they're the young version of a of a of an adult actor. But in this case, we had the opposite of that, and it was fantastic. Um, also, Adam Brody, like, what the heck? That really caught me <laughs> off guard. I had no idea he was in this. Yeah. The entire adult cast is kind of like a random once upon a time. Like big former people. child like, stars and yeah. former right. teen like, stars. Yeah. Megan Good, uh, DJ Catrona, which is funny because DJ Catrona was originally supposed to play Superman. And Adam Brody was originally supposed to play Flash in George Miller's Justice League movie that got canceled. Oh, yeah. I forgot that Adam Brody was cast in that. Yeah. Uh, so funny. And a George Miller Justice League would have been so good. Yeah. Definitely would have been What could have been? <laughs> Army Hammer as Batman? I mean... Uh. Another thing. Army Hammer was the person who The Rock wanted to play Shazam. Wow, that would have been interesting too. I would have liked yeah. that, I yeah. think. I thought I thought Zach Levi was great though. I think he did a, a really good yeah. job. Yeah, and to your point, he Cameron, did. of like kid actors, I thought Zach Levi did a great job of like a, him playing a kid. Like he wasn't playing like right. dumb. It was just playing like enthusiastic and like big yeah. energy. And um, I think a lot of times when adults play like a kid and their body they like act stupid and like kids aren't stupid. They're just, there's got a lot going on. Just haven't mm-hmm. learned everything yet. That's right. Well, that is, uh, all we have for review. So let's get to our final thoughts and ratings. Jake, kick us off. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a ton of fun. It's, it's a great movie. Um, I definitely think it's the most fun I've had with the DC by far. Uh, and I definitely want to see more of this stuff. Everybody in the film is fantastic. Uh, the end, I mean, the end turns into a superhero movie. So like it, it is what, what it is, but it's not a bad superhero movie. Uh, but there's a lot of great character stuff here, story stuff going on. And, uh, I teared up. So, you know, that's, that's pretty, pretty good for a superhero movie. So overall for me, I'm going to give it a B, maybe even a B plus. I, I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah. This, um, was the best Power Rangers movie I've ever seen. I think, <laughs> Um, uh, yeah, the, for sure. It's the only thing that the DCEU has come up with that's even close to Wonder Woman in terms of quality. Um, it's it's just it's just so fun. Um, I laughed, I cried, um, I was proud, I was embarrassed. It was just the whole ride, you know. Um, I, I give it five out of the six members of the Shazam family. Um, it's a little bit formulaic and tropey at times but still just a great time a great fun i've been telling everyone i've talked to about it and people are still skeptical because of how bad the marketing is and i'm like no yeah. i promise it's good and i'm trying to get people to go but whatever it's great i loved it yeah it's i'd give it a b <clears throat> this is you know a fun movie i'm not upset about going to have seen it like i was with many previous dc films but i'm not it's not like Wonder Woman, which even though I think still has problems, I walked out of Wonder Woman like inspired. I was in love with that movie. It was a great time. And so I think this is the um, Iron Man 3 of like DC movies. It's like a good movie, but you know, it's not 
Captain America Winter Soldier, but it's still good. It's still fun. It should still be of the DC universe. That's an even better one. They're both once again bringing both all back around to Paris, guys. Both good metaphors. (laughs) There's room enough for more than one. Okay, guys. I agree. agree. (laughs) All right. Well, let's go ahead and get to our content of the week. Trevor, kick us off with your content of the Um, week. So. We had some, you know, life scheduling issues last week. We planned on doing If Beale Street Could Talk on this podcast, and I watched it, and it is amazing. Guys, it is so good. Barry Jenkins has made another masterpiece. Um, The performances, the story, um, a great adaptation from the great James Baldwin. It's just really fantastic in every way. I can't imagine how it did not get nominated for Best Picture. Like, one of the the great travesties of all as I, f- I feel like the more I see of movies from 2018, the more bewildering the Oscars become somehow. Yeah. Um, but if Bill if Is it a movie? Talk, is it a movie that I need to kind of like. Like, I can't really do anything for a little bit after emotionally? Am I going to kind of just be like. Um, kind of. It's kind of heavy. Um, okay. But it's not, it's not like a super gut punch, and it kind of ends a little bit on a higher but it is but it is pretty tough it's it's heavy it's also there it also has one of my absolute favorite movie scenes of 2018 in which i was laughing hysterically in my living room awesome enjoyed it very much did brian tyree henry deserve a best supporting actor nomination maybe he's only in it for like two scenes and like 15 minutes total but he is great oh okay okay what a career that guy's having. Uh, Jake, content of the week. Yeah, so Shazam is directed by one of my favorite, like, successful internet directors, uh, David Sandberg. Before he directed Annabelle Creations and, and Lights Out and Shazam, he just made little short horror films with his wife by himself and put them on Vimeo. And the one that got noticed was the short film called Lights Out that inspired the feature-length version. Um, And he's incredibly talented. You can definitely see his talent for directing in these short films. But I'm just going to recommend his Vimeo channel. It's, It's cool to see where someone like him has come from and uh yeah definitely definitely check it out it's a lot of fun little short horror films nice um i'm gonna do a music recommendation which i don't do often but i feel like i'm late on this train very very late but uh, i'm happy to happy to have jumped on but i recently about a couple weeks ago started listening to tame impala oh and tame impala is so good Pretty much all of the, their music is fantastic. Yeah. Um, and I'm super pumped for their new album that should be coming out soon. But, I mean, they've been on constant rotation. Or he? I don't really know. It's one guy, <laughs> but then there's like a live band that always plays. Whatever. Tame Impala has been on constant rotation since I started listening to them. So go give them a listen. But... That's all we have for this week's episode. We'll be back next week with a new episode. We will be reviewing something new. I'm not quite sure what yet. It's one of those, do we want to see Hellboy? Do we want to see Missing Link? Want to do something else different completely? Who knows? Check back in next week. We'll, We'll have something for you. If you've enjoyed listening to us, go to iTunes or Spotify, subscribe, rate, review us, share us with your friends and family, you know, be a part of the conversation of this episode. If you feel like we were wrong about something or if we left something out of our review, let us know. We want to, you know, talk to you guys about the movies. If you want to know more about us, you can go to our website at popcornoptional.com where you can find all of our episodes. If you want to interact with us, the best place to do that would be on Twitter at Popcorn Optional. My name is Cameron Sonana. You can find me online at 321CamiTime. Jake, where can we find you online? You can find me online at jakebrown.tv. That's my website and my Instagram handle. Trevor. I'm on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at TurboTrevor. In the words of Truman Burbank, if I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. Bye. I'll be good. <laughs>